Well, it is Easter Sunday, and I, uh, I'm excited about being here. Uh, last, last Sunday, we had a, an Easter egg hunt right after our service at 1 o'clock, and uh, I don't know how much candy, but I know we spent like hundreds and hundreds of dollars on candy and plastic eggs, and then we had donations of, of candy, and so we were going to do this Easter egg at one, uh, hunt at 1 o'clock, and so we started at 1 o'clock. There were a bunch of kids there, and within two minutes, candy was gone. I was like shocked how fast it happened. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and there were kids that arrived a little late and they're like, I didn't get any. And then, so, you know, I was like, well, um, I've got a couple kids here who have been getting candy and I, I tracked them down and they both had bags full to the brim of like, I was like, you guys take it all. You guys are terrible children. And so I made them give a bunch of candy away and it was really funny. Um, but I, I, I just love Easter. Um, a year ago, a year ago in 20, 2021, uh, we had three Easter services here, and we were, uh, you know, the last two years have been a little weird, right? And we were glad, we're like, we're back. And then Sunday, we had this great service, we had baptisms, and, and then that night, my, my family um, drove down to, down to the LA area to visit a college, because my oldest daughter was looking at going to school there. So we drove down there, and while we were driving, I was like, man, my sinuses are a little weird. And then I woke up Monday, and I went and did a rapid test, and I had the Rona. And I was like, no! I was so bummed, um, you know? And so it was like just a challenging year, but I just, I love Easter, though, and so it's so good to be back together because we get to see people maybe we haven't seen in a while. There's new faces here. And more than anything, I just want to, just, just to let you know, Jesus is alive, and we're celebrating that and we're reminding ourselves of that. And there's so many good things about Easter um, together. So I'm just so glad that you're here this morning. Like I was saying, I love Easter for a lot of different reasons. I, I love the egg hunts. I love the baskets of candy because as a father who reads the Bible and who's a theologian, I love teaching my children about tithing with the candy it is such a great thing. I'm like, I'm sorry, I have to take 10%. It's just right there in the Bible. I'm here to follow the Bible, and I just want to be obedient. Just want to be obedient. But I, I love that. I love the opportunity for family dinners and all of those things. And more than anything, though, I do love this is a reminder about Jesus. And I feel like it's so easy to get caught up in the fast-paced of life where we, where we kind of maybe um, neglect certain truths that we, we know, that we believe, that we maybe even read on a regular basis, but we kind of just move off of those things. And so I love that the church has a day where we, where we really pour into this and dive into this. You know, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus is, I think it's more central to the Christian faith than, than any other event in all of human history. In fact, every Easter, I'm, I'm tempted to do a, a number of things. You know, I was fortunate enough to spend like, I think I spent like seven or eight years in grad school studying theology and read like every book on, on the resurrection. And I'm always tempted to spend like an hour doing a full-on historical evidence survey, you know, because there is a lot of evidence supporting the resurrection of Jesus. And I don't know if any of you have done this. Some of you I know have, some of you maybe haven't, but there is a lot of evidence supporting the empty tomb from you know, historical, um, historical uh, writings and documents. There's, there's the testimony of, of the Bible that just kind of does that. And there were 500 people who saw 
over 500 people who saw Jesus. And every Easter, I'm like really tempted to do that. But this, this year, I was kind of thinking about what is it that the Lord would want us to spend some time thinking about? And what I, I felt like the Lord kind of nudging me to do is I want to share with you just my, my personal reasons why I think the resurrection matters and how it impacts me because I have long believed that good theology should be lived out, meaning that if we really believe the things of the Bible, they should impact the way that we do life. Amen? Or let me, let me put that another way. The way that we say we follow Jesus should influence and impact the way that we engage with the world around us. Um, One author in scripture, James, says, faith without works is dead. In other words, we can say we believe in Jesus, but do we actually put it into practice? Amen? Does that make sense? Like, I just don't find, you know, faith that's not, faith that doesn't impact the way we engage the world is not helpful, I guess is my point. In fact, hypocrisy, I think, is really hurt the church in a lot of ways. So what I want to do is I want to spend a little bit of time. I want to read Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, and then we're just going to talk about a little bit about how it's impacted my life and and how I think it should impact yours too. So this is what the author of Luke 24 says. Uh, Luke is the best gospel because his name is Luke, and it's a really good one, just so you know, if anybody is curious. But this is what we read. Luke writes, he says, but very early on Sunday morning, The women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day? Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, and he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. And so as I was saying, I, I want to just talk a little bit about what the resurrection means to me. Three things. There's three things that the resurrection always really kind of inspires me to, to think about and to wrestle with. And, and, and so there's three things that, that every single Easter I'm reminded of. Because what I do every Easter, every Holy Week, is I spend time working through the Gospels leading up to the resurrection. And I'm reading these texts over and over again and seeing things Sometimes, you know, I've read a text for 50 times, and that's the beautiful thing about the Bible, is that you can read it a whole bunch of times, and then something stands out as you're reading it, and you're like, oh, I never observed that. But the first thing that, that I think comes to mind when I read this story is that questions are not the enemy of faith. Questions are not the enemy of faith. You know, we just read that when Peter sees the empty tomb, you know, like he's had a bunch of women come and tell him that the tomb is empty, and in the first century, Unfortunately, women's testimony was considered not trustworthy. And, and so these women tell him that, and he's like, mm, 
I don't know about that. And he goes to the tomb and he sees that it's empty. And it says that as he sees an empty tomb, he wondered what had happened. And I really feel like probably more than likely, Peter started to ask questions about, did Jesus really rise from the grave? Did he really come back to life? I mean, Mr. Apostle himself, just think about this. Peter, who goes on to become a pillar and one of the primary leaders in the church, the early church, is asking questions about whether or not God really did what he said he was going to do. And so he has these questions. And, and as you read the story in the Gospels, what's really interesting is we have Peter going to the tomb and he sees that it's empty and he starts wrestling and wondering and has all this overwhelming awe and all these questions come to mind. And then we know that shortly after that, he actually has an encounter with the risen Jesus. He, he sees him face to face. And, and somewhere along the line, what happens for Peter is he's like, okay, I just failed Jesus. Because if you know the story, you'll know that on the night that Jesus was crucified, he betrayed. Peter betrayed Jesus. He said several times, I don't know him, right? And so Peter sees the risen Christ and then starts processing all these questions and he's wrestling with, with the implications of what's happening. And then he surmises that because he hadn't been perfect, he can no longer be used by God. And then what Peter does is he starts to go fishing. By the way, fishing's a great answer for pretty much everything. I just wanted to throw that out there, okay? But he goes fishing. He goes fishing, and then we know in the Gospels that Jesus sees him and several other disciples fishing, and he says, hey, come here. And then he has this conversation with Peter where he restores Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know that I like you. No, do you love me? Lord, I love you. And then Peter is told by Jesus, even after he's denied Jesus three times and he's failed, he's failed Jesus in many ways, Peter says to him, I want you to feed my sheep. And I love that the, there's this, this element to the story of the resurrection where we have all these people asking questions. In fact, one thing that you get really clear as you look at all the different narratives of this from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is that everybody involved in the story gets it wrong. The women are confused. The disciples don't really believe. They're all wrestling with the implications of what just happened, and they're like, oh my gosh, I don't get it. And so there's all these questions that come up in this, in this passage, and what I find most encouraging about this is that it makes me feel like it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to wrestle with, with questions about faith because I'm sure if we went around this room right now, everybody in here has questions, right? I mean, that's part of being a human being is we're trying to interpret the world that we live in and we're trying to understand how a loving God, for example, allows suffering. Or we're wrestling with questions about, about the world we live in and how crazy it is and and we're wrestling with our purpose and why we exist. And, and I just love how the resurrection, the story of the resurrection, first and foremost for, for me, just says, hey, God is not afraid of your questions. God is not afraid of your wrestling. In fact, he, he allows it, encourages it. And we see it's in the process of wrestling with these big questions that people come to a deeper understanding of their faith. So that's one thing that the resurrection means for me. Another thing that the resurrection means for me, and this is probably the most important for us, is that new beginnings, 
are possible. New beginnings are possible. For 2,000 years, the church has been, has had one voice when it comes to the resurrection and has said that the church, the church has said that the, the Easter story, the resurrection of Jesus, reminds us that new life is not just possible, new beginnings exist, and restoration is at the heart of everything that God does. I mean, when you look at the story of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, what we all need to understand is that's primarily, centrally about you and I having a restored relationship with God. That's what it's really about. It's the gospel message. And this is why, folks, I want to just tell you, this is why we read in Revelation 21.5 where we, we see God say, Behold, I make all things new. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded regularly that there are new beginnings. There are new beginnings. There's second chances. Some of you in this room need to have 50 chances, right? But that's the beauty of grace. The beauty of grace is that his grace is sufficient and the invitation into Jesus' kingdom is always before us. And so this is a big thing that I think is prominent about the resurrection. I mean, for the early disciples, for Jesus' early disciples, his resurrection meant that everything was about to change. There's books that you can read about the 12 disciples and, and you can see their backgrounds and it's really quite fascinating how Jesus, when he comes on the scene and he starts calling his disciples to follow him, he says, follow me. And so he starts doing that with people from all different backgrounds. And they're all misfits. They're all weirdos. They're all, they're all not the type of people who were really affluent in their communities. They were people who were on the margins of society and Jesus wasn't afraid of that. If anything, he says, come, come to me, follow me. And so he has this, this band of people that are following, every, following him all around, and they're all just messed up people just like you and me. And I, I don't know about you, but I find that deeply, deeply encouraging for my own faith. And I think, if anything, what we need to realize is that if we're stuck, and my, my assumption is that there's still a lot of people in our world who are super stuck right? Super stuck, feeling, feeling overwhelmed. There's anxieties and grief and worries. I mean, like worry didn't just start in 2020. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? Like it wasn't like 2020 came on and then all of a sudden we were like, oh, it's really stressful this world. <laughs> right? I mean, the world we live in is a very complex world and there's these really complex questions that we have to wrestle with. And the beautiful news is that even if we are struck, even if we are suffering from addictions or we have health challenges or we have brokenness in relationships or we have things that we feel like we can't get out of on our own, the beautiful message of the resurrection is that new beginnings are possible. New beginnings exist. And, and so I love that. And in fact, that's basically the point that Paul makes in Colossians chapter 3. I want to remind you, just, just listen to what Paul says here in Colossians chapter 3. And what Paul is doing here is he's, he's reflecting on how the resurrection should apply for followers of Jesus. Okay? He says this. He says in Colossians 3.1, he says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. You know, a little bit people are going to get baptized and we're going to see them publicly identify themselves with Jesus' death and his burial, and his resurrection. And so Paul says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, 
In other words, because Jesus was resurrected powerfully from the grave by the power of the Spirit, you are connected to Jesus. You also have been raised to new life. And so here's kind of the point about how this applies, though. What Paul says is that since you have been raised to new life, he then gives a list of things that we should be doing. This is what he says. Don't lie to each other. It's a good start, right? Parents would love if their children would not lie to them. Don't lie to each other. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, listen to this. I love this. Paul says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. So in light of the resurrection, this is how we should live. This is how we should live. New beginnings are possible. Now the third thing that I think the resurrection um, does for me when I think about, about the meaning of it and, and wrestle with all these different texts and the theology around it is I, I come to this other conclusion. Christianity does not exist without the resurrection of Jesus. Like We would not be here this morning if Jesus was still in that tomb, right? And this is repeated by the Apostle Paul over and over again. In 1 Corinthians 15, one thing that Paul says is he says that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. So if Jesus wasn't raised powerfully from the grave, we would all be hopeless and there'd be no point to any of the things that we do. I mean, I once was thinking about what church must feel like for a non-believing person. I mean, I try to always think about that. But it's like, if you really think about it for a minute here, we all stood up and we looked at a screen and we sang Christian karaoke. <laughs> right? It's like, why are they staring at a screen singing to it? it worship only makes sense if Jesus is alive. Right? It's, it only makes sense, and that's why I would nudge you, if you have not wrestled with this topic and you've not done due diligence to study why billions and billions and billions of people throughout the last 2,000 years have placed their faith in the risen and ascended Jesus, I think you owe it to yourself that you should do that. Because otherwise it makes no sense for what we're doing. Right? And I think that's what Paul is getting at, is that Christianity does not exist without the resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, and on the third day, he is powerfully raised from the, the dead, we have our faith oriented around that. This is what N.T. Wright says. N.T. Wright is this phenomenal biblical theologian, and he, he, he really gets to the heart of it by saying, the resurrection is both the truth that makes sense of all other truth and the truth that offers itself as the framework within which those other truths will find their meaning. In other words, we as followers of Jesus both find our hope and our purpose in the resurrection. You and I can say we have hope because Jesus is alive. Muhammad is still in his tomb. Buddha is still in his tomb. Every other world religion follower and developer and founder is in their tomb. Jesus is alive. And that's what shapes our faith. That's what shapes our faith. And so not only 
does the truth of the resurrection help us find our ultimate hope, but it also helps us orient our lives in a way that we find out why we exist too. We exist as people who carry the hope of the resurrection, and we're called to share that hope with the world around us. In a minute here, like I had said, we're going to have some folks who are going to get baptized. And like, for me, I I think baptism, um, there's two things about the church that, that I just find so beautiful. One of them is communion, where we take a moment and we are reminded of Jesus' death for ourselves, right? We, we actually are taking a moment to remind ourselves that Jesus loved us so much that he died on a cross and his body was broken and his blood was shed for each of us. And then we have this meal to commemorate that and to remember it and we invite the Holy Spirit to, to in, enlarge our hearts to really feast on that truth. And it's really beautiful, and we do it every week. But another thing that's really beautiful that the church has been doing for 2,000 years is when people are called and invited to surrender their lives to Jesus and they say yes to Jesus, one of the things that they come up with, they come up against, is the idea of what it means to follow Jesus. And so like, when we say Jesus is Lord, we mean Jesus is Lord all the time. That's what we're, we're constantly wrestling with that, Right? And every single day, every single opportunity that we go through is an opportunity to either say yes to Jesus or to say no to Jesus. And there's nobody in this room, I'll be very clear, there's many a day where, where there's these two options and I don't do the thing that Jesus wants because we're all broken, we're all messed up, et cetera, et cetera. But it's always this invitation. But one of the first things that followers of Jesus did in the early church is they would, they would get baptized. And the reason why they got baptized is it was a way for them to publicly proclaim their allegiance to Jesus, but it also was important because what it did is it it helped them to to identify with Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so in a moment here, people are gonna get baptized, and when they go under the water, they're, they're symbolically going into Christ's death. And then when they come up out of the water, guess what they are identifying themselves with? The resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus. And so it's one of the most beautiful things. So we always say that baptism Sundays are our Super Bowl Sunday, right? It's a big deal. So what I'm gonna do right now is we're gonna, we're gonna invite four people to come forward. Doug is gonna come forward. Preston's gonna come forward. Uh, Liberty and Jeremiah, I, I, they're somewhere around here. So they're gonna make their way forward. You are allowed to take pictures if you would like to.